Well, thank you, Jason, and thank you, congregation. It is always a privilege to share from God's Word, and I've been looking forward to this this morning. Um, the topic that I picked for today is, what if it were today? And when the Lord led me to this topic, I didn't know that we were going to be having a prophecy conference coming up in a couple months, and so maybe this will be a little introduction to the topic. I'm, I'm looking forward to that, too. We know from Scripture that one day our Lord is going to return, and there are two parts to that. He will come first for his beloved, his believers in this world, an event known as the rapture, and then secondly, he'll come as that conquering king to establish his kingdom upon the earth. And all of us as believers wait that day, and we look forward to those events. And many times in our life, you know, we're going along and we're, uh, it's in the background. Maybe it's not in the forefront of our thinking. We're just going about our lives and activities and normal things that we do. And then something happens in our world, like what took place on October 7th, when Hamas violently, brutally attacked Israel. 5,000 rockets that were fired in on that day, along with breaking through the barrier and then brutally killing and capturing civilian hostages. And we look at those events and we wonder, you know, is this the event that could set in motion all of the things that Scripture tells us about the second coming of Christ? And we begin to think about that. And isn't it interesting that, you know, after 2,000 years, we're still focused on Israel? And we're still wondering what the nations around her are going to do and what will their response be. And so this morning, I want us to think about that particular topic, what if it were today, and to make sure that our heart is right with God as we enter into a new year and we find ourselves in a place where we are fully committed to him. So I want to start by reading the scripture. We're going to look at Matthew 24, verses 36 to 44. Scripture says, But about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So Jesus is talking to his disciples when he shared those words, and they are on the Mount of Olives across from the Temple Mount looking at Jerusalem, and he is telling them about the things that are going to take place in the future. And he tells us that no one knows that day or hour when he is going to return, no one except the Father in heaven. 
It will be a day that takes people by surprise. And that will especially be true for those who do not know Christ. In fact, if you were to raise this subject with someone who doesn't believe in Christ's first coming, they're certainly not going to believe in his second coming. And the words of Scripture to talk about a rapture of the church or talk about his return would seem like nonsense to them. But it's not to be that way for us as believers. We may not know the day or the hour, but we are to be aware of the signs of his coming. We're to be aware of the things that are going on in our world so that we can indeed do what he says, watch and be ready. Jesus says it's going to come suddenly. Two men will be in a field. They'll be at work. And one will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be working together. Uh, here grinding with a handmill, going about their everyday lives and activities. Maybe they're at the fitness center, maybe they're at the coffee shop, or they're going as friends. And our Lord is going to come, and one will be taken, and the other will be left behind. What will that day be like for those that are left behind? For us as believers, we are to be ready but for those that are left behind, it will be a day of shock and sorrow. Can you imagine how the world is going to respond when millions of believers are taken from this earth in a rapture, where we are taken up to be with the Lord in heaven? The Apostle Paul wrote about this event in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. He said, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul wanted to assure the believers that they were not going to miss the coming of our Lord, that when he comes, you will know it, and you will hear this loud trumpet from heaven. You'll hear this command that is given, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those who are alive at that time will be changed in a moment. There will be a generation of believers that will never taste death. They'll be translated from this life to heaven just like Enoch in the Old Testament or Elijah who was taken up to heaven. Believers are going to be changed and enter into the very presence of the Lord. And Jesus said we don't know that day or hour. He could come at any time. But when we look at what's going on in our world, we can see the signs. And it's not like, you know, there are all these things that have to be fulfilled and then Jesus will come. No, it's like everything is set in place and he is standing and history's going along and at any moment he could step in. He could enter into our world and what is happening and bring an end to it all. In 2004, there was a terrible earthquake in the Indian Ocean, and it generated a huge tsunami with devastating effect. You may recall that. 
It happened on December 26th of 2004. And there's a young girl, you can show the slide here, a young girl, Tilly Smith, who was vacationing with her family when this event took place. Uh, she's just, again, 10 years old, and she uh, is British, and her family were there that morning. They were enjoying a walk on the beach and the warm breezes and the sand beneath her feet and everything. And Tilly was looking at what was going around her, and she noticed something strange that was happening. The waves were going out from the shore, but they weren't coming back in. And what's interesting is that two weeks earlier in her um, geology class that she had had, or a segment on that, the teacher was talking about tsunamis and how they are generated. Well, as you can imagine, that wasn't of great interest to a 10-year-old girl, but the video that the teacher showed caught her attention. And so when she saw what was happening on the beach, she turned to her parents and she said, we have to get off the beach. There's gonna be a tsunami. And we have to get everybody off the beach. There's gonna be a tsunami. And she started shouting that, and her parents were like, you know, hey, 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 come on now, calm down. She got her younger sister so upset that her younger sister started to cry and was frightened by this. And Tilly was like, urgent, no, we have to get off of the beach. And the dad picked up the younger sister, and he took her to the hotel lobby, and she, Tilly ran afterwards, and he started talking to one of the security guards there, and he said, I know this is gonna sound crazy, but my daughter thinks that there's gonna be a tsunami. And he looked out at what was happening with the waves, and he went out and he believed her. And he went out and he began to yell to everyone to get off of the beach, to get off of the beach. And they made their way to the hotel and up to the second floor in the lobby that was there in safe areas. And it wasn't long after that 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 tsunami hit. 230,000 people died in that tsunami. Thailand was one of the worst areas hit. 47 villages completely wiped out by the destructive force of it. And when her dad realized what had happened, he turned to Till and he said, what if we hadn't listened? What if we hadn't listened? You know, on that particular beach where Tilly and her family were, they know of no one who died because people heard the warning and they acted. And I think about that with the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's told us that this is going to happen one day. He's given signs of his coming. When you read through Matthew 24, if we were to look at the whole chapter and we talked about that, he wants us to be ready. He doesn't want us to be caught unaware. And how do we get ready for that day? Well, first and foremost is by accepting Christ as our Savior and Lord, placing our trust in him, asking him to forgive us for our sins and to come into our heart and change us. And then secondly, we want to make sure that we are in a right relationship with him, that we're walking in fellowship with the Father and the Son, confessing and dealing with our sin, serving the Lord, using our gifts in a way that honors him. And so the first way that we get ready for the coming of the Lord is to be ready. And the second thing he asks us to do is to be faithful to be faithful. 
Continuing in Matthew 24, in verses 45 to 51, he says this. Who then is the faithful and wise servant who the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. And truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour that he is not aware of. And he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So who then is the faithful and wise servant? It is the one who is doing what the Lord has asked him to do. Whatever our calling, whatever our vocation, we are to do that as unto the Lord. We're to use our gifts in a way that honors him. We're to be obedient to his commands. And what are his commands? Well, there's some that are pretty obvious in Scripture. For example, the great commandment that he gave us, that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and all our mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And so that's, that's pretty easy to understand. Love God, love people, love your neighbor, love the believers that God has surrounded you with and commit your life to them and to their well-being. We can think, too, of the Great Commission that's found in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, when Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When we think of the Great Commission, I mean, that's, that's why we exist. That's why he's left us here, is to help others to know him too. We've come into a relationship with him, now he wants us to help others. Our children, our families we know, our relatives, friends, people we work with, but even those who live far from us. That's why we send out missionaries. That's why we pray for laborers to be raised up to go into the harvest and all over the world. We want people to come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. The scripture also tells us in Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, that we are to be very careful then how we live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Life is short, passes very quickly. The years go by. And how have we used the time that we have been given? When you look back, you feel that that time has been well spent doing what God asks you to do. Or are there things that you wish you could have changed? Well, you could start today. This is the beginning of a new year. You could begin new habits or patterns or commitments. 
to give yourself to the Lord and to say to him, God, what is it that you want me to do with my life? What is it you want me to do with the time I have been given? And to use that fully for him. And in 1 Peter 4, verse 10, Peter writes that each of us should use whatever gift we have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So if you have the gift of leadership, lead for the Lord. If you have the gift of mercy, show mercy and use those gifts to come alongside those that are hurting. If you have the gift of encouragement, encourage others, bless them. If you have the gift of teaching, then be involved in teaching and sharing the word of God. Whatever gifts God has given to you are to be used. That's the reason the church grows. It's the way that it grows when each of us are doing our part in the body of Christ. And we're not trying to be somebody else. We're being who God made us to be. And we use those gifts to the fullest, and he blesses that. Now, in Matthew 24, and then what follows in chapter 25, Jesus emphasizes by repetition, you would say. When you look at the parables that follow his teaching on his second coming, chapter 25 begins with the parable of the ten virgins. And you have these uh, women that were waiting for the return of their master. And five were wise and five were foolish. And the five that were wise brought along with them extra oil so that their lamps would not go out. And it was a long time in coming before the master came back, and those who were foolish had their lamps go out. But those who were wise were ready, watching, waiting for his coming. In the next parable, you have the parable of the talents, where these different individuals were given resources, given money that they were to use and to uh, have a return on that investment, if you will. And so these who were wise took the talents that they had been given, they put them to good use, they earned more, they multiplied what they had been given. And one who was not wise took it and hid it in the ground, buried it, did not use it. And when the master came back to those that had used what they had been given and done well, they received the commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And so it will be at the end of time when Jesus opens the books and reviews what each one has done. And there will be commendation for those who use their gifts, use their time, use their treasure in a way that helped others come to know him, in a way that multiplied those resources it was a blessing to others. And God calls us to do that in many different ways. I want to share with you two examples to illustrate this. The first is the story of an American missionary. His name was Adoniram Judson. And he was a missionary to Burma. He would leave for that country in 1812. He was married, his wife, and he would go. And at that time, you know, you don't have the convenience of travel. And when you went, you probably weren't going to come back. 
or rarely would you return. And you'd go out knowing that this is where God had called you and you were going to serve and you were committed to do that for as long as God gave you life. Well, Adoniram Judson had a very hard life. During the time that he was in Burma, modern-day Myanmar, uh, he suffered much. He was imprisoned. He was tortured. He was kept in shackles in a jail for great lengths of time. But the greatest loss of all was when his wife got sick and died. Adoniram Judson went into a deep depression. For months, he would go and he would sit by the grave of his wife. He just felt so alone. He felt abandoned even by God. God, where are you in the midst of this grief and this suffering? You see, it's hard to go through those things when you don't have the fellowship of believers there who can encourage and support and come alongside of you. And he just felt so alone in his grief, but it was his faith in God that sustained him. And he kept going, and he kept working on the things that he thought were most important. And for him, that was translating the scripture into the Burmese language. And so he devoted himself to that. He translated the New Testament first, and that was printed and published and distributed. And then later, he completed the Old Testament. It took him 22 years to do that. But he was faithful in his service. Well, fast forward, 150 years later, there's an anniversary celebration in Burma for the translation of the scripture into their language. And all of these believers met that day to celebrate that significant event. There was a man who was speaking there, Paul Borthwick, that was going to address the group that day. And when he looked inside the Burmese Bible, he noticed that there was an inscription there that said, translated by Reverend Adoniram Judson. And so he turned to his interpreter and he asked him, what do you know about this man, Reverend Judson? And he said, oh, we know him well. We know his story. We know how much he suffered. We know how he loved the Burmese people and the work that he did. And we know that he died a pauper, and there were very few believers at that time. When he died in 1850, there were maybe 15 to 20, 25 believers was all, and no known church at that time, just a group of believers getting together. But he said, today, there are over 600,000 believers. And he goes, and every one of us owe our spiritual heritage to that man who brought us the word of God. You know, I think about that, and I think, did Adoniram Judson ever see that? No, he didn't. He had no idea what God might do in the future. But he was faithful in his calling to serve the Lord where God had placed him, and it would only be in heaven that he would see the fruit of that and how many people came to know the Lord because of his life and ministry. And some of you might think, well, well, that's a missionary, and I, I'm not a missionary. What can I do? How can I serve him and be used by God? Well, I want to tell you a second story. And this one is a story 
um, that comes from Kevin Complin, who's the president of the Evangelical Free Church. Uh, Kevin grew up in Thiefer Falls, Minnesota. We grew up about 30 miles apart. I'm from Warren, he's from Thiefer. We didn't know each other then, but we've known each other for almost 40 years now as pastors in the Free Church, and we work together down at the national office. And Kevin was telling about the church in which he grew up, uh, church in Thiefer, an e-free church of a couple hundred people, and they had a youth group, and a, you know, it wasn't large for that size of church, but there was a man in their church, Wally, who committed himself to working with those teenagers, those middle school and senior high students. And you know, working with a youth group can be rewarding, but it can also be challenging, trying to get the attention of teenagers, trying to, you know, kind of bring them in, and he loved them, he prayed for them, he taught them the word, he helped them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. And Kevin said, you know, out of that group, there would come four pastors, two missionaries, um, he shared how one would become a Bible college teacher. And he looked back on others in that group who became leaders in churches as elders or Sunday school teachers or youth leaders in other churches, all because of the love of one man who chose to work with those students along with others in that church. And he said, and wouldn't you know, one of them even became president of the Evangelical Free Church. Who would have known it? I mean, Wally didn't know that at the time that he was working, what was going to happen, and he didn't get to see all of that fruit. He saw some of that fruit as lives began to change and students went on and made their commitments to Christ. But I thought about those of you who in our church work with our student ministry. You know, you're building the next generation of leaders in our church. And when I saw, you know, on our children's Christmas program, this whole platform filled with almost 200 kids up here, I mean, that just blessed my heart. You know, I, I think about that too, that that's the future of the church. That's the next generation that we want to come to know the Lord, to grow in their relationship with him, to learn how much God loves them and cares for them, and to raise up those leaders who will go into the world. And we get the joy to see some of that in this life, but much of that we won't see until we get to heaven. And we'll see what God has done. So be faithful. And thank you for the service that you are giving to the Lord. And then finally, the coming of the Lord is meant to be something that encourages all of us. Be hopeful. Be hopeful. In Titus 2, verses 11 to 14, the scripture says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I've always loved these verses. They speak of the two advents of Christ and that we live between those two advents. We just celebrated the first at Christmas. It was Jesus coming to this earth 
and taken upon himself our humanity that brought us salvation. His death, his resurrection, his triumph over sin and death and Satan is our victory when we place our trust in him. And so he calls us to remember that and then to live differently as God's people, to say no to sin, to say yes to Christ, to say no to the things of this world and to say yes to following Jesus, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present fallen age. And what are we waiting for? We're waiting for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the second heaven. That's what will happen on that day when he returns. And his second coming is meant to be an encouragement to all of us who know Jesus as our Savior and Lord. We long for it. We long to see his return and for him to put an end to sin and wickedness and violence and evil and the suffering that we see in our world. This blessed hope is intended to motivate us to live our lives in obedience to him. In the Evangelical Free Church Statement of Faith, we say it like this, that we believe in the personal, bodily, and glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ at a time known only to God, demands constant expectancy and as our blessed hope motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. You know, and you look at that statement, the constant expectancy, that's the be ready. You look at the godly living, sacrificial service, energetic mission, that's the be faithful. And you look at the statement about our blessed hope, the return of Christ, that is the be hopeful. That there are times when we can look at what's going on in the world and be discouraged by it. We see what's happening in our country, the divisions or the crime in our cities or the turning away from God and rebelling against him, and it breaks our heart. We long for more. And one day, Jesus is going to return. I want to share another story, and this one's from a friend of mine, and I know a couple of people here also know him. His name is Lee Eklov, and he's a retired pastor in the Evangelical Free Church. And he told this story about his dad. He said his dad died on a Sunday morning in 1986 when he was getting ready for church. And what was interesting was that the week before, he had been pressed into service to provide special music that Sunday in their little country church. They grew up in South Dakota. His dad had a beautiful voice. And so his dad said, sure, I can do that. And he got, he got up that morning to sing, and he chose that Sunday to sing the song, It'll Be Worth It All When We See Jesus. And as he was singing that song and the pianist is playing, he broke down in the middle of it and he began to, to weep and he couldn't finish the song. And Lee said that was unusual for him to do that. And Marge, the pianist, continued to play and then she sang the words and finished the song. Well, isn't it interesting that just one week later he was there in the presence of Jesus at that very hour 
it'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. All the things that we have gone through in this life, any sacrifices that we have made will seem so small, so insignificant compared to all that he has done for us. And when we get to heaven, we're gonna see Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, but the one who also told his disciples, I call you friends, I call you friends. And to be welcomed into his presence by this one whom we have known through his word and through our life, and to be called a friend of God, that's pretty amazing. And to be there with all of the believers from all time in all parts of the world is gonna be an amazing thing. As we gather around the throne and we worship God and we sing his praise and his glory. How do we get ready for that day? Well, we make sure our heart is right with him. And when you think about your life and where you're at today, is there anything that you would need to change or want to change to be ready? Or are you in a good spot? When Jesus does return, will it fill your heart with joy as you come into his presence? And as we turn the calendar on 2023 and turn to a new year, are there any new commitments you would like to make? Maybe there's a spiritual goal that you want to set this year. Maybe there's something you want to do. I know at the start of this year, I asked some of you to maybe read through the Bible for the first time. All the way through, you could do that again. Or some of you who have never done it could start, and you could pick up a Bible reading guide and do that. Because being in the Word, being in the prayer on a daily basis is so significant. It can change your life. I encourage you today, as we talked about in this message, to do everything on your part, to be ready, to be faithful, and to be hopeful, because the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Father, you are so good and gracious. You have given us everything we need to live the Christian life. You have given us your word. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us the fellowship of believers in this church. And we have opportunities to grow and serve. And I pray that we would make the most of what we have been given. To be a blessing to others, to encourage, to help them to know Jesus, to make disciples, to raise up the next generation of believers. And I thank you for each one who's a part of this church and for their commitment to you and to others in the body of Christ. And I pray for the year ahead that this would be a significant year of growth in our fellowship and that we would continue to see you at work in multiple ways. We ask it all for your honor and glory.